0: Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84 Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to see you all here today. Our call to worship this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We return to a familiar passage, words that I think bear repeating over and over. Matthew 5, picking up in verse 2. Then Jesus began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is the word of the Lord. O Father, you indeed are glorified, honored, and adored when we honor and exalt your Son, Jesus, whom you have set forth to be the payment for our sins, through whom and through whom alone we may draw near to you, through his blood sacrifice to pay the price for the sins that we have committed. We are justified, made right in your sight, and you call us sons and daughters, and you receive us gladly. And it's all through Jesus. We thank you, Father. We pray that today in this hour together, but in all of the hours that follow throughout this day and throughout this week, that we might remember to adore you, to praise you, to honor you and live out in our lives that first request that our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be hallowed as we adore you with our lives this week. Father, what a privilege it is to come before your throne expecting not your fearful wrath, but because of Jesus, rightly to expect your happy smile. We thank you for your word which teaches us that we are to take all of our anxieties, all of our worries, all of our problems, and cast them upon you because you care for us. Father, we pray that you would bless this chapel and those who are connected to it, help us to be faithful, faithful to you, faithful to your word, faithful to live out the gospel in the lives of our families our neighbors, our friends, our communities. Father, we lift up this nation and its leaders. We pray for wisdom for our leaders. We pray that they would govern in ways that are right and just. We pray for repentance for all of the people of this land. And we pray that you would grant an open door for your gospel to continue to go out, changing hearts, changing minds, bringing people into a right relationship with you through Jesus, your Son. We ask all of these things, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A couple weeks ago when we were last together, we were in James chapter 4, the first 13 verses. James 4, 1 through 13. And we looked at the cause of conflicts with others. We found that James identified the cause of, of our conflicts as being the conflict of our sinful desires within us. Yes, James took a look inside. And having made this diagnosis, James identified only one cure. That cure is God's grace, which is given freely to all who humbly submit themselves to him. Then James began to explain for us what a life that is submitted to the rule of Christ looks like. He showed us what it definitely does not look like in order to show us what it looks like. And the first thing that James pointed out is that a life submitted to Christ's rule does not arrogantly speak evil of a brother or sister. As a matter of fact, the title of today's sermon is A Life Submitted to the Rule of Christ. So James was identifying things that don't fit with a life submitted to the rule of Christ. And we saw the last time, it does not arrogantly speak evil of a brother or sister because to speak evil of a brother or sister is to arrogantly set yourself up as a judge that is higher than the royal law that James had talked about earlier. And what is the royal law? The royal law is right here in front of you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law that James has pointed his readers and pointed us to. He calls it the royal law because it's the law of the king. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we gossip, when we slander, when we cut with our tongues, when we stab in the back, our brothers and sisters, we're breaking... The royal law. We have in effect set ourselves up as authorities that presume to be higher than both the law and the lawgiver, higher than God's grace, higher than the grace giver himself. And when you think about it, how dare we presume to be above God and his word in our dealings with our brothers and sisters? Speaking about presuming is going to lead us directly into James's next point about what a submitted life definitely does not look like. It does not arrogantly presume. James says that a life submitted to the rule of Christ does not arrogantly presume. We're going to be exploring what that's all about. But first, I want to tell you a story. Uh, we are going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. But first, a story. An old story says that a long time ago, there was a master who sent his servant into the next town, to the marketplace, to do business for him. And while the man was there in this crowded marketplace, as so he looked around, all of a sudden, he saw something that scared him to death. He saw death. Black hood, sickle. White bony face. He saw death in the marketplace. And when death turned his head and saw him, death made a menacing look on his face and raised his bony finger and pointed right at him. The man's blood ran cold. The hairs stood up on the back of his neck. He dropped everything that he was doing. He began to push and shove his way through the crowd as he tried to frantically run the other direction to get away from death. And he managed to do it. He got out the other side of the marketplace, ran from the town, and hightailed it back to his master's estate. When he got there, the master could see that his servant was visibly shaken. He said, What is it, man? Tell me, what's wrong? What happened to you? When the man was finally able to speak again, he described in detail the whole thing that had happened. The master said, I'll protect you, I'll keep you safe. And the man said, you got to let me get out of here. i got to run. i got to get away from here. The master said, well, that's fine. Where, where do you want to go? He says, I want to go to that next town over, the other direction. Okay, very good. So the master gave him provisions and gave him an animal to travel on and, and said, get on out of here, lay low for a week or so, and then come on back. So uh, the man leaves. He heads to the next town. As chance would have it, The master's outside working later that day. And who should he see come walking down the road? Death himself. And the master, very boldly, he calls death over. And he says, now you look here. I want you to tell me what's the meaning of this, that you would threaten my man in the marketplace. And death says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, well, I'll clue you in because my man told me exactly what happened. He said he was in the marketplace doing business for me when you turned and looked directly at him and you made a menacing look on your bony face and you pointed your bony finger right at him. You scared him half to death. What's the meaning of this, you threatening my man? And death said, oh, I beg your pardon. He said, I wasn't threatening him. He said, it might be hard to read my expression, but it was a look of astonishment on my face. I was amazed because I was so surprised to see him there in the marketplace. Well, what are you talking about? Well, he said, I wasn't expecting to see him in that town. You see, I have an appointment with him later on this evening over in the next town. The man presumed, That he could get away from death. James talks about presuming here in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city, spend a year there, and do business and make a profit. It sounds like people who've got a business plan, right? Nothing wrong with having a good business plan but they are failing to acknowledge something. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while. You get up in the morning and there's a little bit of fog, a little bit of vapor in the air, but you know as soon as the sun gets up, it's going to burn that vapor right off. James says, that's what your life is like. You're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes Instead, here's what you should say. You should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. James is addressing a group of people and he sees them in their day-to-day lives. They make plans. They make arrangements. Some of them are shrewd businessmen who are making plans for doing business in the future. And there is nothing wrong with any of that. We all have these lives that we have to live. We all have to make provisions for our future. We all make plans. We make arrangements. We write dates and appointments on our calendars. Nothing wrong with this. But James looks at this group of people and he sees them doing all of these normal human things in our normal human lives. He sees them doing it without any acknowledgement that all of this hangs by God's grace. Making plans, living out their lives, but there's no acknowledgement of God. There's no realization that anything that they do is only going to be by God's grace if it fits in with God's plans. I think it's real easy for us to fall into the same category as that group that James is addressing here. And that's why this is so important for us to hear. Whenever we presume on our future, James says it's arrogance. It's pride. We are not in any position to presume on our futures. Whatever plans we make, those plans will only come to fruition if it's God's will. Because God can shut it down at any moment. You think about the rich farmer that Jesus talked about in his story when he warned people about the danger of greed. That rich farmer hadn't done anything wrong in his business dealings and in his plans and provisions for the future, but he had neglected to include God in his plans. He had neglected to acknowledge that anything he had, any future days that he might have, would all be by God's will and God's grace. How easy it is for us to lose track of God in making our plans, for the days of this week, for the weeks of this month, for the months of this year. That's what James is talking about. James says that a life that is submitted to the rule of Christ, it does not arrogantly presume. I've lost sight of God. I fail to see that my plans... My preparations, even my very life, are subject to God's will. I presume that I will do this or do that. I presume that I'll be in a position to carry out my plans. I fear that we often presume much. Think about the words that God spoke to that farmer in that story. He said, You fool. I don't think that, that those words are to be said in a way that is, is, uh, is cruel, but rather in a pitiful sort of way, as if God were saying, I pity you. I truly, truly pity you for being the fool that you are because you've made all these plans and preparations. You're banking your entire future and your happiness upon these things you've neglected the one thing that matters. Oh, you fool. You fool. If you had only attended to your own soul, if you had only attended to those things which would make you rich toward God, Instead of laying up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves are constantly threatening to break in and steal, if only you had instead laid up treasures for yourself in heaven, eternal treasure that never wastes away. If you'd only been rich toward God, you fool, how could you have missed it? Tonight your life will be required of you. And then all of these things you've laid up for yourself, whose will they be? You'll have no control over that. We presume much. Like the rich farmer that Jesus described who comforted himself on his preparations that he had made for himself because of an abundant harvest. Didn't even acknowledge that that abundant harvest was by the grace and will of God. He had ignored the one thing that was of highest importance, the welfare of his, of his eternal soul, a soul that he possessed only because God gave it. In this story, I begin, in, in James's uh, diagnosis of our condition, I begin to recognize an apparent progression. If I'm arrogant, prideful, I lose sight of who I am before God. I'm a wayward creature in dire need of grace. And so what do I do? I begin to critically speak evil of my brothers and sisters. I begin to condemn them for their shortcomings, not even realizing that in so doing, I'm setting myself up as a judge over God's law, as a judge over God's grace. I try to be the gatekeeper of God's grace. Now, in my arrogance, I lose sight of God and who he is he's my creator to whom i must give account by whose leave i live and move and have my being i presume that i am self sufficient i presume that i am self which i to say that i presume that i am self sustaining <laughs> five times fast And so I make my plans from day to day with barely an acknowledgement or consideration of God, God's will, God's grace wherein I stand. My arrogance is leading me down a path that's getting nastier and nastier. I believe this naturally leads to the next level of arrogance that James addresses. We're going to look at it quickly. What doesn't a life submitted to God look like? Well, we saw the first two. It doesn't arrogantly speak evil about a brother or sister. It does not arrogantly presume that it controls its own destiny. It does not arrogantly abuse others. That's the third one that James wants to talk about and we're going to look at this morning. It does not arrogantly abuse others. We're in James chapter 5 now as we continue through. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. He says, come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is rotted. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. And look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. There's a lot to dig out of that text. And next week, we're going to dig some more out of it. But for this week, I want you to see this basic idea. Having lost sight of myself as a creature in need of grace, I deny others that very grace and I defame them. I speak evil of them. Having lost sight of God, I set up on my own as if I was my own. And now at this point, I am ruled entirely and only by my passions and desires. If I see others at all, it's only because... I see them as nothing more than obstacles to be removed, annoyances to be silenced, resources to be exploited, instruments to be manipulated in the pursuit and service of my desires, mine, mine, what I want. That's what's going on in this passage here in James 5, 1 through 6. James sees a group of people who are trampling others. Running roughshod over them, taking advantage of them. And why are they doing it? Because they want, they want, they want greed. I want to feed my desires, my passions. I don't even see others anymore. If I do, it's only as obstacles or annoyances or instruments to be twisted and manipulated so that I can accomplish what I want. I will use and abuse. I will refuse and accuse others as it suits me. Remember what James had said about the inward condition of the heart and what it produces? Back in James 3, verse 16, he said, there is disorder and every evil practice. Yes, that's where we end up when we go down this path of the heart. A path that is not submitted to the rule of Christ, where instead we are ruled by our own passions and desires. Oh, be sure of this. We will all be ruled by something or someone, and if you are not ruled by Christ, if we are not ruled by God, then we will be ruled by cruel and capricious masters called desires and passions. There's disorder in every evil practice, he said. The question becomes, how is my heart? Inside my heart, is there a cold war that's being waged, ever threatening to go hot and erupt into open conflict with others? Because that's how it happens. The conflicts outside come from the conflict within. Throughout our lives, we learn effective management tools to mask the condition of our hearts. Little children act out because they haven't learned these management tools. That's why they throw tantrums. You and I would be throwing tantrums too but for the fact that throughout our life we have learned management tools to keep this mess covered up. And sometimes we still throw tantrums. But it's only a mask. It only temporarily covers the condition. The spiritual cancer that's in our hearts continues to gnaw away. And so... We say to the great heart surgeon, how much is tolerable? Maybe it can just be confined and contained. We try to bargain. We dicker over the price. But the great physician knows what we need. We need a transplant. We need a new heart. One that is submitted to the rule of Christ. Jesus, as you might recall from another passage, advises a much more invasive and radical approach that involves cutting things off in order to save the soul. So the question really is what is your soul worth to you? And what would you give for it? James makes it clear what kind of cutting is involved in this operation. Cut out your pride. Your arrogance, Cut it out and humbly receive God's gift, God's grace. God talks about giving a new heart. That's the promise of the new covenant. Cut out your pride. James also says it involves cutting out sinful practices in a change of heart. That's repentance, changing your mind. About things And cutting out the sinful practices that have become habitual in your life. Cut them out. And he also says it involves cutting off. Cutting off the allegiances that divide you from the one who would have all of you. James has in a few places in this book talked about the double-minded man. The double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. He's double-minded because he's looking at two things at one time. He's the man that Jesus talked about. No man can serve two masters, for either he'll love the one and hate the other, he'll despise the one and cling to the other. You cannot serve God and money. Oh, there's the old greed problem again, huh? Yeah. Um, The double-minded man. He can't focus on the one thing that's important because his allegiances are divided. He's looking a few different directions at once. Cut off those allegiances that divide you from the one who would have all of you. Because in short, submitting yourself to God, humbly submitting yourself to him and his rule in your life, it's the only way to be healed of the common conflict that afflicts us all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word that came through the Apostle James, who didn't pull any punches. He, he called it like he saw it. And what he saw was a heart condition that was ruled by desires and passions, a condition of greediness, Father, help us to understand that indeed we all will be ruled by someone or something. It is far better to be ruled by you. Our Lord Christ, you change not. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a good and loving master you are. Help us day by day to submit ourselves to you and to your rule in our lives, to lay aside the arrogance of life that causes us to mistreat our brothers and sisters and to make our plans for the future without you in view. Instead, help us to acknowledge that all that we are, all that we have, all that we will be and do hangs upon your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask these things. Amen. I invite you to take your hymnals as we sing a closing hymn. Number 568. May the mind of Christ my Savior. I can't think of a better hymn to sing in response to James' teaching on submission to the rule of Christ. May the mind of Christ my Savior, if you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing number 568. Christ, my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say may the Word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power may the peace of God my father rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing on the fourth is the last May the love of Jesus fill me As the waters fill the sea Him exalting, self-abasing This is victory And that victory does only come by doing what Jesus called each of us to do. He said, Anyone who would follow me must take up his cross daily. It involves a cross, a dying to self, crucifying, putting to death the sinful desires and passions that wage war within us and saying, no, you are not my master. I belong to another because I was bought with a price. The blood of the Son of God purchased me from sin and death and I am no longer ruled by you. I am ruled by Christ to whom I willingly submit by yielding my mind and my spirit to his way. And we do that every day. And that is victory. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with each of you today, this week, and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.